surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Welcome to Let's Talk About It. I am your host, Taylor Nolan, and this episode we're going to be talking about privilege. And I've asked my dear friend, Colin, to join me to discuss this. So, hello, Colin. Hello, hello. (laughs) That's always how I can count on you to answer the phone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hello, hello. (laughs) Um, But thank you so much for joining in this conversation about privilege. You are a white male, so I feel like it's really important to include white men in this conversation of privilege because you have a lot to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, me, I have, a, I have a business that I run doing live video webcasting for large corporations. And so I kind of get the, the privilege of being able to see the insides of large corporations and move between industries and kind of see what's happening um, within all those spaces and have my finger on the pulse of new things that are starting to emerge, new trends. So it's a really fun place to be, um, especially when we see cultural trends starting to shift and happen. I kind of start to see some of that in in my world, sometimes before the public gets to see it. So it's a, it's again, I love what I do. Yeah, and you get to see it through a different lens, I think, because most people don't yep. really get to see it from like a corporate setting. And, you know, it's it's the beginning of Black History Month in February now. So I feel like it's not only have we experienced it in this social media societal sort of movement, but it's also Black History Month. So there's an extra emphasis, I think, on the racial tension and divides in our country and being aware of privilege has a big part to do with that. Black History Month was actually recently established in 1976, which is not that long ago. I hadn't realized that. Yeah, it's crazy that this this stuff is just in barely even in our lifetime. Yeah. And not only it being Black History Month, but also there was a conversation between DeRay and Brene Brown discussing privilege earlier this week in New York that we both watched and was the inspiration for discussing privilege today. On this episode, DeRay also has a podcast, Pod Save the People, which is really great. And he is a very strong activist within the black community. So highly recommend checking out his podcast, Pod Save the People. But specifically why we're going to talk about this today on Let's Talk About It is because privilege and the different, the the tension between races in our society does have a lot to do with our mental health because it has a lot to do with how we connect to people. And we've reiterated throughout the podcast about how important our social connection is to our mental health. So I hope that that makes sense. And today we'll discuss what privilege looks like and how we can move through privilege so that we are enhancing those connections and that social support within our lives, that it's a that it's a social network of diversity that's only helping to nourish and enrich our communities and our mental health. So 
Before we get started into what privilege is, I just want to check in with you, Colin. As a white male, how do you feel coming into this topic of privilege? Yeah, so, you know, as a white male, I typically have a lot of mixed opinions on it. So I, for one, am all about creating more diversity in the world and also creating a lot more opportunities for minorities. Some of my clients are actually Native American clients mm-hmm. that I get to do the live webcast of all their cultural events. And, uh, you know, to see some of that stuff that was just is just eye opening because I yeah. never would have been exposed to their culture and their, their way of life. And some of the events that they put on that are just so drastically different to what you traditionally will see in America. Well, and it helps that in Washington, we have a really large population of Native Americans. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, it really like makes me recognize the differences of privilege that are out there that are, you know, wealth-based, race-based, sex-based, age-based. Like if if your culture is the dominant culture, like you're going to have more privilege and opportunity than some of the minority cultures that are out there. And so it's just this giant mix of of privilege and then judgments associated with um, any of the groups that you're, you're part of. So, you know, now we're specifically having this big movement focused on race right now. And, and there's, there's a lot of, um, sex and race are Mm -hmm. the two big ones right now. And so I think it's really important to really dive down and drill into these two since they're the most prevalent right now. Mm -hmm. And then at some point as a culture, we are going to have to address the other ones. But right now is the time to really dive into these two and specifically for this conversation race. So I can definitely see both sides where, um, especially my side. Yeah. I mean, like, does that make you feel uncomfortable at all coming into a conversation about privilege as a white male? I don't feel, I feel more excited as opposed to uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, cause I love, I love controversial topics. I love being able to jump <laughs> in and, and yeah, and have the tough talk. Mm-hmm. So for me, and I, and I do have a lot of opinions that, you know, sometimes are received well and sometimes are yes. not. So, um, cause, cause again, some of them are very controversial. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always open to speak my opinion. Yeah. I mean, that's part of why I love being friends with you because you get very excited about these controversial topics and are very open to expressing the opinions around them that you have, even if they may not necessarily agree with the majority of what people might think. And that's where I think privilege becomes a little bit of a tricky topic to talk about because I think that while some people feel energized talking about controversial things that other people may feel a need to avoid or a sense of discomfort and risk and fear associated with a certain topic because, I mean, I know even for me, and I'm still a person of color, I still feel a little bit anxious and uncomfortable and a little nervous talking about privilege just because, you know, People, I think, are very quick to criticize these kinds of conversations because we all have our, we all have our blind spots. You know, like no one's claiming to be able to talk about privilege or race in a perfect way, but people are so quick to criticize it that people become fearful um, to even and yeah it. and to judge it. That people even become scared to just start the conversation in the first place. And I think having the courage to actually just stand up and say, you know. I'm probably not going to get this all right. And I know I have my blind spots, but it's important to talk about. So I'm going to try. And I think that's, that's our goal Absolutely. here today. 
Absolutely. And I think having the debate and even even if we find that, you know, in the conversation that we uncover some of those blind spots that 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 are there, it's keeping an open mind to make sure that we are open to the idea of when being called out or having something pointed out that is our blind spot, being able to, you know, take that back to the table, take it back to however we self-reflect and try to integrate that into our self-development routine. So. At the end of the day, expressing ourselves and putting ourselves out there is how we mm-hmm. develop ourselves and can move this conversation forward. Yeah, and taking the other road, you know, where you're kind of fearful and are like, eh, that's a little bit too risky to talk about. I, I'm just not going to go there. That saying that having the ability and having the choice to say, no, I'm not going to talk about privilege because it makes me feel uncomfortable or it's too risky. That in and of itself, I think, says that you have some privilege that you get to choose not to Absolutely. talk about it. Absolutely. Really what I think is very important there on no matter which side of the conversation you're on or where your perspective falls, it's then also keeping an open mind to not pass judgment on somebody that maybe does hold some extreme view mm-hmm. that is, you know, that is biased, that is coming from their blind spot. It's like at the end of the day, if we have a more nurturing perspective towards the people that we mm-hmm. even disagree with, then I think that can accelerate the conversation and help us get to where we want to be as a, as a nation mm-hmm. and as a culture. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's definitely something I want to touch on a little bit later in the episode in terms of how we move through that and, and work with someone kind of where they're at with their awareness of their privilege. Uh, but first I want to talk a little bit about what privilege is. So, I mean, straight from a like dictionary definition, privilege is just having a special right, advantage, or immunity to a particular person or a particular group. And the privilege that we're discussing here today is privilege that you're just born into. You know, you're born into your race. And it's not something that you can change, but that with the race that you're given, you're automatically kind of given this advantage or disadvantage within specifically our American society. Colin, what do you think are some of the privileges that you have as a white male. Yeah. So, I mean, I can tell like an example, for example, an example of oppression, but also carried white privilege with it was when I first started my business. And uh, so I was able to um, come into Seattle, really get my live webcasting business going. But I was at one of my disadvantages is I was, I was young. I was in my early twenties. And so there was uh, some of the older generations wouldn't give me the opportunity to really present in front of them or to do a webcast for them because they figured I was too young. And so I found myself trying to strategize of how to make myself look older and more professional Um and at the end of the day, I could see the difference when I would do that. So, um, but at the end of the day, I'm a white male, so I still had more opportunities in that scenario than maybe maybe an ethnic minority. And so, it gave me more insight, though, like looking back and kind of reflecting on that of of what different ethnic groups or what different oppressed groups need to do to try to bend what they've been the cards they've been dealt so that they can gain an equality of privilege in any given situation like i had to bend bend my age and but then still had the white privilege mm-hmm. card on the table 
So it's it's interesting to really kind of unpack that. And, yeah, because and imagine how much more difficult that could have been to succeed if you're if you were born simply born a different race. Absolutely, absolutely. That could have been way harder. Yeah, when even even different sex. So even a, a woman might have had a little bit of a harder time to go mm-hmm. through that as well. So so it's and we're all we all are born with these different like sets of privilege privilege cards basically and Mm -hmm. and race being one of them of course it's a central topic that we're discussing now yeah so i don't know if you've heard of the different implicit association tests yep the association tests help measure our unconscious or hidden biases and there have been multiple studies done on this that show that our racial preference in america is for white people and you know there's limitations to every study that's done but these studies have consistently found that we do more easily associate black with negative and white with positive. And 70% of white people actually prefer white people. Surprise, surprise. And But 50% of black people also preferred white people. And Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what, what's your kind of interpretation of, of those results? Yeah, so I uh, I got a psychology degree um, from Western Washington University, and we went over some of those studies, and it, it did baffle me that even beyond the study that you mentioned, even just name association mm-hmm. of, of people applying for jobs and having different names that might be more ethnically, ethnically charged will actually increase or decrease their chance of getting mm-hmm. the job um, from a lot of their studies. And so my reaction to it is, again, having you know the psych degree is, you know, visually, we're very visual creatures. And when we go into the environment, like what we see usually ends up changing and altering our perception based on our past experiences, our judgment, the built-in expectations that our culture has raised us with. Yeah, we initially come in with this bias already. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, when I look at that, I see it as a reflection of what the environment Mm -hmm. currently has in it and the the way that our perceptions have been built around, you know, in yeah. this specific case, color of a person's skin. So it's at the end of the day, then we start to ask ourselves the questions of, okay, so now that we have that information, what comes next? What do we need to do to mm-hmm. shift this? And what do we need to do to, to kind of even the playing yeah. field? Well, and it makes sense that even the black people were found 50% of the time to prefer white, because when you look at our society, what you do see and what we are raised with is this sense that white is power and white is superior and that white is more common and white's positive. Yeah. And, and one, one really interesting um, statistic that I read once I had the 23andMe genetic test, and this kind of like, again, mm-hmm. turned my thoughts a little on, on, on their heads when it said that um, on the 23andMe results, when a person would identify as black, um, the, it would, the threshold would be that sometimes they were only 23% actually, that carried 23% of the genetics that made them black, and the other, you know, 70%, 70 odd percent would actually be other races. And so I think it, it kind of blew my mind that even when somebody is genetically only 23%, um, their heritage or ancestry black, we as society still end up putting them into the black category. 
and and then, and yes. then that actually even puts them and even themselves like so this is a more self-reflection mm-hmm. study so even they put themselves in that category even though from a genetic standpoint they are actually a majority of, of a mix of different um, ancestors mm-hmm. from around the world so it, it again yeah. harpens to or gets at the view that I got when I was getting my psych degree is that we are such visual creatures that we can just you know we're, we're creating these categories visually when from a genetic standpoint the categories really shouldn't be there to break it down in the way that we do so yeah and- well and that's where like we want to push ourselves into you know clean cut boxes because it's easier for us to make sense of things yeah. and whether you know I mean, I'm biracial and I'll be doing an episode later this month about being biracial. But, you know, I remember in middle school, like I was bullied a lot for my race. And I remember some of the girls that I would like argue with about this who are making fun of me would tease me that like, you know, they call me bad names. That I'm not going to say. And, um, you know, I'd say, but I'm white too. And they'd say, no, but you're black, aren't you? And I'd say, well, yeah, I'm half black. And they'd say, so then you're black. Yeah. Like, no, you're just black. And I'm like, okay, but I'm also white. And he was like, nope, that's all you are is just black. And that's a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, again, it's like you point out the, the way that humans just categorize thing. One, one thing again, mm-hmm. that I found mind blowing when I got, uh, when I was in the psych program was how the reason human beings create categories is so that we can start creating words and, and boxes mm-hmm. to put things in because, as we're children growing up, our boxes are really big when we're children so we can understand the children. And then as we get older and older, we start to unpack the boxes and break them into smaller boxes or smaller categories. And then as we continue our education, like I had a big like interest in physics and science, you start to realize how the world is just a spectrum and really the boxes don't exist. Yep. They were just there yeah. to help us understand the world mm-hmm. in the beginning. But really when it comes down to it life in the universe is a spectrum all ca- the, those categories don't yeah. truly exist so well and i would even say that the box isn't taped shut either yeah. you know you can take certain things out of it put certain things in it i don't know if you listen to um episode two but the a box of humanitis based off the active mind speech i did you know it's yes as a, as children we have these different things in our box and as we grow up like we'll we'll change that and it doesn't have to always stay in our box we can put new things in it and certainly everything is on a spectrum it's not like you're either this or you're that like we are very very complex creatures yeah very very complex and i want to get back to the uh, results of the association tests because i think those are so important because they can actually help predict people's behaviors around hiring and promoting people around access to medical treatment um, and even decisions related to criminal justice because it's helping show us our unconscious or hidden biases that that then are you know coming out in our in our workplace and our personal lives um, and that I think that's something to be really like try to become aware of yeah and I, I can even speak to an example that I had of that when my hiring practices so um, uh, when, once a lot of the, the Black Lives Matters movement came out and a lot of the um, questions about, around uh, systemic bias and, and systemic racism came out, it did make me take a step back to reflect, okay, how am I passing judgment when I'm hiring camera operators or hiring technical directors and do I actually have any of that built into mm-hmm. me? And 
You know, I, I yeah. traditionally do when I have an applicant, I will go look at their social web presence. So I will look at their LinkedIn profile. I'll see if they have a public Facebook or Twitter account or an Instagram account and just kind of look through to get a gauge of who the person is. Because um, at the end of the day, you know, I'm I'm dealing with millions of dollars of equipment. So um, I want to make sure that I can trust the person that I'm hiring to come on site. And, you know, initially I... And does race play a part in that? So initially what I would find, what I found in myself was that um, it, not necessarily the color of the skin, but the way that the person dressed. And so, and some of the way that the person dressed, if they had like, you know, sagging pants or shirts with guns all over it or or that kind of uh, memorabilia, then like I was more quick to say, yep, nope, this person is dressed in a almost what I would say now, like a, a costume or a fashion statement that is associated with, with, with a culture of crime and a culture of, of like disorganization and, and in our culture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and, and there was uh, both white and blacks that I came across that had that dress code, but it, it would actually sway my opinion of who the person was and whether or not they were worthy of being hired or not. Um, so, mm-hmm. so I kind of had to stay, take a step back from that. And the way that I just described too, of the way that the dress is, is, is associated with the black culture more predominantly than it yes. is the white culture. So, so if it was a two factor, the person's black and the person is dressed like that, then I would find myself more slanted towards thinking these stereotypes of, okay, well, this person might be untrustworthy. I don't know if I can have this person on the job site. Mm-hmm. They might not even show up on time and and or flake out at the last minute so there is actually like a a built-in bias with the way that we've been trained by the media to to look at to look at everybody so i uh, once i kind of thought about that with myself i decided i actually went ahead and hired started hiring people that are dressed that way and or Mm -hmm. that are in what we would call secondhand clothes even where maybe they went to goodwill to get some of their stuff um, as, but hey, we live in Seattle. Like thrift shopping, secondhand shopping yeah, is everyone. Absolutely. <laughs> and at the end of the and at the end of the day, like a lot of those the the guys and women, they worked out great. And it was predominantly males mm-hmm. that I'm talking about. But but it was yeah. I mean, the some of them were they worked out great. So the the judgment based on their choice yeah. of how to how to dress is is not directly, of course, tied to their the way that they're going to carry themselves and and work yeah. on the job site. So, so it is like, and, and again, had, had there not been a big push around, around systemic racism and bias, you know, then I likely wouldn't have gone through that self-reflection process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think like that's especially important for white males to do, because I think that you guys are often targeted as either the people to blame for the racism or the people um, that should feel shameful about just themselves because they have this certain privilege. Um, And that's kind of partly what I want to challenge even with having you on here because, you know, we can't, I, I don't think that we can try to address increasing the inequality for people of color while shaming and belittling people of privilege that I think it's, it's more acknowledgement and awareness of the privilege that then helps uh, increase equality for people of color. Absolutely. Um, Cause I think if, and I think you, I yeah. think you hit it right on the head right there too. Um, because I do have, I do have a lot of 
white male friends that are are very negative towards the diversity movements and yeah well i think it it creates a sense of defensiveness absolutely well and especially if you know some of the conversations i would say this is one of the big and again it's what you just hit on is basically one of the biggest triggers uh for for white males in my experience what i've seen is when they do try to join the conversation to voice their opinion but then they're immediately called you know white supremacist or a bigot or or mm-hmm. somebody that's racist and, and and you see this on Facebook as well as in, in voice to voice conversations is at the end of the day, like what you said, approaching it from not a perspective of, you know, attacking, but kind of more embracing it to create acknowledgement. I think mm-hmm. I think that's the best yeah. way to go to engage with with white men currently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that even before people even bring in those comments, how you were saying of like white supremacy or, or whatever. I think even before any of that is said that typically I would imagine that that white male that's entering this conversation on privilege is already kind of aware of their privilege. So they already feel this fear for speaking in the conversation or they're so unaware of their privilege and just feel like they're trying to be made to feel shameful for something by um, bringing up the fact that they have privilege. Yeah. And there's a – go ahead. And I would say, too, that part of it is is also some of the, the white men that I know grew up in impoverished situations, and, and a lot mm-hmm. of friends that I have are all business owners. And so they, they did come from nothing. They struggled. They barely paid rent. And so for them and their life experience, they do feel like they've struggled and they came yeah, from Yeah, they feel like grade. they worked hard for their career. Yeah, but to your point, like even they don't recognize the privileges still came along with some of that struggle. And yes. I think even if, if those people can go back and look and say, yes, you struggled and you worked really hard, but also imagine if you were a young black male trying to do what you're doing. And Think about that for a second. And to do that takes a certain sense of empathy. And I also think that's where people are confusing what privilege means because the the sense of self, the sense of, you know, don't call me out on privilege because I've worked really hard to get to where I am. That's not the point. The The, the point of privilege yeah, I, is, I would agree. is about... I totally agree. Yeah, it's about the larger system that is that has been designed to benefit you. When I, I would I would caution I would caution you there on the word designed to benefit you cuz cuz uh, the way that I see it is I don't believe that there was a group of people out there sitting down at a table saying let's design it this specific way. I think that it's more of a historical kind of like organic outgrowth that kind of happened because of you know you have the the the, the slave movement that happened and you have these historical events that occurred and it ended up in some situations. I mean, I won't. I won't fully disagree with that. Actually, in some situations, in some sectors, there there could have been some proactive sort of movements. But I would say, in general, when we're talking about the bigger system, I would say that it's it's a, a more organic extension to historical oppression, things that occurred that have been built in through the system by whites being in the majority, and then and then biologically biologically being attracted to um, other whites and giving them benefits without recognizing it and acknowledging it. Yes. Well, I think that because historically, when you look at it, 
laws and program government programs and the government itself are all are for the most part created with white men with other white men in mind so perhaps like programs aren't necessarily intentionally being created to benefit other white people but they certainly haven't always taken into consideration uh the lack of privilege that people of color have precisely. and so precisely 100 100 yeah, so that's when then programs are created, as we've seen in the last few years, get created for black people to help them. And that's where I think we've seen uh, this really weird push and pull come. And I think that's where we've seen the idea of privilege really come into play here because things like affirmative action and, you know, having more black people get into universities that that's looked at as a threat almost or as a un- unfair yep. advantage when it's like, really, this program was created specifically because you didn't have anything helping you in the first place, that in fact you had things working yep. against you. And so one of my favorite quotes in, in discussing privilege is, what is privilege? Well, privilege is when equality starts to make you feel oppressed. When mm-hmm. just giving other people an equal opportunity that you have makes you feel like they're like you're being oppressed like you're getting something taken away from you that's how you know you have some level of privilege that's speaking out to you well and i, and I think that I, I think those are great points and i think that i think that there's an extension to that at least from possibly what what white men specifically would be feeling um because basically as as the affirmative action programs come out, I completely agree with you. I'm, I'm, I'm actually completely for them, um, especially when it creates more heroes and people to look mm-hmm. up to of all the different ethnic groups that are out there. It, it gives them like an example that they could be like. Yeah. And especially because we're such visual creatures as human beings, we, we really need Absolutely. that to really move things forward. Um, and then, and then in, in the short term, those are that's a great strategy to get everything set up set up to basically equalize the playing mm-hmm. field and then and then and then to get to the white male's perspective of kind of being scared mm-hmm. of that is there's an extension to that ideology which is okay what if continuing like 50 to 100 years from now that we still have in government everything slanted towards affirmative action for minority groups um, at the end of the day that feels like to a, a white man, if those those stay in place, that it's actually going to limit their opportunities mm-hmm. and their growth. And even as we move into a world where um, it's projected in the next 10 to 15 years that the that white whiteness will actually be in, growing into a larger minority set within the United States. Yeah, as they put it in one of my chapters for school, one of my books said, the browning of America. Yeah, and so eventually, if those stay in place, then all of a sudden the competitive there's a, a place reserved for mm-hmm. affirmative action for minority groups, and then and then whiteness is just considered whiteness across the board. Then and if even if you have Native American um, um, affirmative action, you have a native, a affirmative action for women, affirmative action for African Americans, or or really at the end of the day, because even I went on a date with a woman that was. Uh, that's black, but she didn't identify as African American, and she even told me she didn't like that term because she's she came from came from Jamaica mm-hmm. and and the Caribbean, and so for her, you know, it's she she didn't really want, she'd rather just be called black, 
Um, but at the end of the day, it's if we divide up all the categories like that, and again, one of the fears here, I would say for white men is then that eliminates their pool. And as they, they move into being the minority, then, then all of a sudden we would, the white men would need to rise up and say, Hey, wait a second Mm -hmm. here. We need to make sure that we have, you know, an affirmative action campaign for ourselves. They're afraid of losing their privilege. Absolutely. And in the short term right now, I mean, in my opinion, it's not, it shouldn't be that big of a fear because it's at this phase, we're at an equality setting phase, but I could see that I could see that perspective in the long yes. run though. But we're not there yet. We're not to that point. No, well and I think that even that that's people jumping way ahead and that 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 yeah. that tells me how deep the fear is of equality because equality to them sounds like you're trying to oppress me. Yeah, and take away opportunities because yes. before when you're competing with only like and actually the the woman that I sat down with too, she she kind of brought this to my attention and, and made a great point where like she now feels that she only has to compete with the other black women to get like a job or to get a spot on. She, she even had this direct experience with getting to be a cheerleader for, for one of the uh, national sports teams that she was able to go in there and compete. And she only needed to compete with the other black women, but she knew there was like set aside spots. But um, for, for white women, then they have a bigger potential allotment but they're just competing with each other based on what what again white males or the white women would consider just an open open playing field for whatever skill comes to the table whatever emerges because there's nothing set Mm -hmm. aside in their opinion for them for being white it's just skill-based versus then you have the affirmative action set aside for a Mm non-skill-based system where they're only competing the ethnicities are only competing with each other to see who has the best skill to get that. Yeah, well, and I think that the goal for that too is to be able to get to the point where it is just specifically skill skill focused, but we can't unfortunately get to that point because of those biases that we do have where we're judging someone yep. before we're actually getting to know them and that's what's putting them at an unfair uh, disadvantage. And Absolutely, part of, and, and, thus, and thus why we need yes, it. Yes, and, and part of actually becoming aware of that in the first place is sort of unpacking this invisible backpack of privilege, which was established by Peggy McIntosh in 1989. So again, pretty recent. She was actually in a program for women's studies and was reflecting on male privilege and then kind of started thinking about white privilege and was like, wait a second, like we're taught about racism and how black people are at a disadvantage, but we don't talk about the advantage then that white people are getting. And in fact, we're taught to not recognize that white privilege. And that... Like reflecting on that blows my mind. I mean, was your teaching any different? Did you get that? Because I didn't. (laughs) Well, and again, when it comes to education and and taught in, like it's, Mm -hmm. again, I think it's built into the culture. It's built into the system. So there was never anybody there saying, Mm -hmm. here's the way it works. Here's what it is. It's it's kind of just this unspoken. Well, and again, that's like who is creating the education again that's more dominated by the white people so it makes sense that in these history books and things that we're learning about history that we're not really going to talk about the white privilege because some of those people might not even have been aware of what their privilege was or how these different events in throughout history were creating white privilege yeah absolutely and and it's even from a historical standpoint Mm -hmm. that black culture or even native american culture is under 
underrepresented in our historical textbooks. We don't hear about the uh, a, a lot of the time we don't hear about the influence of of different yeah. ethnic groups on our our United States mm-hmm. culture of how it's evolved over mm-hmm. the years. So I, I totally agree with you, and I think that that's that's been absolutely underplayed yeah. because of the people writing the books mm-hmm. as well as like you said some of the educators that are involved there and again i don't think they did it on purpose it just was this natural sort I mean, it of was the culture it was it was kind of like the original study that you talked about too where we'll kind of gravitate towards people that look act and sound like yes. us and then i think that i think that there's this propensity then to also shift some of the education mm-hmm. culture based on whoever is currently in power. Yeah, so one of the points actually that uh, Peggy touches on in Unpacking the Backpack, well, I mean, first, she basically goes through, there's about 26 different item lists here that she basically came up with to say, these are unearned skin privileges that I have that I can basically count on each day. Um, Some of the items are intertwined with things like class and religion and geographical location, but that's also kind of intertwined to race because it's overall about an overall social system. But in terms of, you know, even just being in the classroom and seeing who's teaching and being able to associate with people who look like us, one of the points that she had on here that I did not have the privilege of was when I am told about our national heritage or about civilization, I am shown that people of my color made it what it is. And I think that's certainly a white privilege. Like, again, learning about history, like I remember being in middle school and learning about slavery. And first of all, there was a whole other set of issues that came up with my racial identity during that time. But also just to think, you know, if I were like a young black man learning all of that, like, what does that say about my race and of people of my color? And who are the other people? I mean, we learn about Martin Luther King, but that's basically about it. Like, you don't really get yeah. to hear. And I think I think that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I think I think because even like, I don't think that I've sat like just hearing you speak and say that, like, I've never went through the mental thought of if I were a black man sitting through a history class learning about slavery and learning and if, if I'm identifying with, you know, the black people in the stories as yeah. they're the slaves, like that's, that's, that's a great like mental thought experiment that I think yeah. people should go through. Cause, cause yeah, not, not until you saying it, like I, I've never visualized that until now you just saying mm-hmm. that, like I visualized other things, but that specific scenario, mm-hmm. that's, that's a powerful one. That's very powerful. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad. Hopefully it is for many people because, you know, when you're sitting in that, I mean, it's powerful for for you now too, but imagine if you were 12, 13 years old, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And when, how, what you would envision, like, what does that say about Mm -hmm. me? What does that say about my parents? Like, what about my ancestors? Like, why did this happen? And what does, does this, is this reflective of the way that I have to live and then today. what does that mean for your future like what what are you being taught yeah. that you are able to live up to then you know like we learn about yeah. so many white dudes that have done great things for our society but we really don't get the same thing with black females and black men and especially with the the way that current education has taught about different ethnic groups mm-hmm. in the culture. And then even th- the other thing that I think of too is then what if I'm that kid and I'm 
looking around the classroom and I'm one of the only black kids in the class, exactly. maybe there's one or one or two others in mm-hmm. the classroom, then you kind of look around and you, you, I could definitely see how that would kind of shape your perspective yeah. and make you kind of take a step back and question mm-hmm. who you are at that, that point yeah. in your life. So I want to just take a really quick break to share this app that I've been using called LifeSum. It helps people to achieve healthier and happier lives. You can use the LifeSum app to get fit, lose weight, build muscle, or just eat healthier. I've really been enjoying tracking the amount of water I'm drinking because it's so easy to lose track of that with all of my traveling, and it's just so important to stay on top of. I upgraded to the premium features, and I love using the healthy recipes feature. It helps me get creative with my meals and make sure that the meals I am eating are good for me. I made the tomato and cilantro stuffed avocado earlier today, and it was just so amazing. I can't stop thinking about it. It was such a simple recipe that I wouldn't have thought to put together the way that the recipe put it together. So you can also get access to delicious meals like this for 30% off by going to lifesum.com slash let's talk. That's lifesum.com slash let's talk for 30% off of your premium membership. Sorry, I just really had food on the mind. (laughs) Now back to the show. Colin, are there any points on here from the invisible backpack of privilege that really spoke out to you or how'd you really reflect on your privilege? Well, and for me, what I really loved about the article was was talking about like the whole earned privilege versus unearned privilege, mm-hmm. and and I thought that was what, that was a great differentiation because I think that also really gets to the points of what we could do as a culture moving forward, even even as a white man in the white community, to kind of call out those differences because I would say that some of the pushback from what I've seen on Facebook conversations and other conversations I've had with friends of mine that are white men is that they, they're they not differentiating what earned privilege versus unearned mm-hmm. privilege is. Um, and so being, and I almost think that that could help diffuse some yeah. of their pushback because then they'd recognize it more. Yes. Well, that's where the confusion of privilege is because there's a confusion that privilege is based on you as an individual person, whereas privilege is about like what you are born into and how society and how our system as a government impacts you. Yeah. And it's such a complex system that we need to start with these two boxes to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which are earned privilege and unearned privilege. They're two big boxes that, that have a lot of stuff inside them. But, you know, to be start the beginning process to understand, we create the two boxes, mm-hmm. we start putting stuff in there, and it doesn't necessarily always belong in there, but it kind of fits. It kind of fits to help us try to grasp and understand how the conversation could move forward. And then as we progress through it, we can, you know, unpack the boxes even mm-hmm. more to really break it apart into several categories. Because some of the stuff, like even in the, the article of Unpacking Your Backpack, you know, some of it is, like you said, some of it's not just race related, it's poverty related. And mm-hmm. those are sometimes put together because of the history yeah. where where then at, we, we can still put it in the race box right now of the unearned privilege, white privilege race box. And then we'll unpack that one mm-hmm. when we get there. Yeah, I mean, part of the differences with privilege was geographical location, like where you're born into and part of that does have to do with race because if you are born into a specific area that is more impoverished than others, then yeah, you are at a 
clear disadvantage here. And unless our society and our government can move towards um, recognizing the white privilege and helping create more opportunities for people of color to have equal opportunities, then that poverty is just going to be continue to be a cycle. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of other things that play into that, like access to education and um, medical treatment and all kinds of stuff. But I think when discussing, I mean, first of all, I guess I love boxes here because I feel like almost every episode we're talking about some kind of a box. I um, love it too. I think it's a great concept. Yes. And, and the, I think it is so important. You're right for white men specifically to understand the difference between an unearned box and an earned box of privilege, because when you can take a look at it and say, you know what, this was just given to me and that's it. That's just the difference here that I think that that will help alleviate some of the defensiveness and perhaps shame that is associated with it because a large part of talking about privilege and talking about race is that it can be so uncomfortable and having the privilege feels safe staying in the place of privilege like naturally people want to be in that place of privilege that's a nice place to be Mm -hmm. but unfortunately that's not how we connect with people and that's not how we can like further nourish our lives then we're just being ignorant you know like saying we're just going to be colorblind like that's just us putting our blinders on and it's not healthy for the general culture even the world culture at Mm -hmm. large because the world is a very diverse place Mm -hmm. and you know just because we had uh, uh, the united states originally came over and dominated by by whites in the in the past doesn't mean that that's going to be reflective of what it is in the future so being able to like create an equal system like like what we talked about if if all of a sudden white becomes the minority like it, it doesn't make sense to have a system and a culture that props up one ethnicity more than the other it's it's in the long term it's about diversity and one point that that that's really like brought me to understand why diversity is so important is kind of like reading more about genetics of how how really at the end of the day we're here as humans trying to survive against this environment that that's kind of trying to rip mm-hmm. us apart with yeah like we got bigger issues to deal with than our race like let's pull it together as a human race <laughs> yeah but but even from again the genetic standpoint is you know having a genetic diversity of where people people are like mix and matching their genetics from generation to generation is actually the best for survival mm-hmm. For, for survival of humans in general. So trying to isolate saying, you know, we want we want privilege to be just allocated in whites or... Or having a supreme race. Yeah, it, it, and, that's, and that's a flaw of thinking. So like, so even like this whole supreme race concept, it's actually over time, if you had a race isolate themselves to just have children within that race set, in the long run, that's actually not going to work out as the environment changes and as humanity grows. Mm-hmm. Like diversity is what wins. Diversity is the superior strategy. Yeah. Well, and I mean certainly has its genetic benefits, but I think also just as a society and from a place of even just improving our mental health and our connectedness with each other, color blindness is definitely not the way to go here. Melody Hobson, yeah. uh, she had a really great TED talk on this and I really appreciated the way that she put it, which was to be color brave and you know, really actually embrace the diversity and, and and invite those differences into our lives. I like that. That's a cool spin on it. I love that. I haven't heard that before. That's a really great concept. Yeah, to be color brave. And I think that that helps us 
move closer to people. Like it's really hard to be face to face with someone and to move in really close and to get to know them and to hear their stories and to hate them because of their race. Like that's really hard to just get to know someone, be really up close, get vulnerable with them, sit with them to still feel those feelings of hatred simply because of the color of their skin that they were born with. Um, and yep. especially with, to get even to that place of being color brave, like we have to be open to talking about privilege. And I think it's, it's a really hard, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful to have you Colin as a friend and as a white male who is open to discuss topics like this and who is willing to stop and take a look at your privilege, but not all people are. And I think that's where we start to read this point of high contention and blame and a lot of hurt because I think what is in a lot of this, you know, issue with privilege and racism is fear and shame. And to even start that conversation with someone who is unaware of their privilege will hear things like how we discussed earlier where, you know, no, like I worked really hard to get to where I am. And they just, they're not able to like take that step to recognize how you did in your experience even to say, wow, I can't imagine like, I'm struggling with just my age right now to prove myself. What if I was also like a young black man? Like, what would that be like? So I think it's important for us to move in and like actually hear that. I think just how we want to hear and be compassionate with the pain of people of color, I think to even push the conversation and getting white males engaged in this because it's not, I I don't want to say it's, it's tricky and hard to talk about, but again, this is where I'm going to go back to like, you just got to try your best. Don't put yourself in this box that it needs to be perfect. Um, that both sides need to be heard. And it's not that one is better or one is worse, but that there's pain in both the white male who has the white male privilege, but isn't aware of it, his pain and his sufferings are still pain and suffering. And if we want specifically white males who right now do hold more power and privilege to become aware of it, A, and B, to help create a system and a society where people of color can feel more equal. I think first we have to like acknowledge that and reach to that in order to get them to then also experience people of color stories as well. When I think, and I I think right there again, it's uh, like you, you make some awesome points. And I think that it's, it's back to what we kind of discovered earlier in this from, from the unpacking the backpack article is if somebody is trying to have the conversation with a white male you know, if they say, well, I've, and their response is, well, I've worked so hard and, and I came from nothing. And then at the end of the day, the I would say the first step is acknowledge their earned privilege, if that was their response, and then point out the unearned privilege that might have come along with that. Because then it's a kind of a two box mm-hmm. approach, right, that we talked about where you like what you're saying, we we're acknowledging that that's the way that they feel. Yeah. But what they're talking about is earned privilege, mm-hmm. not unearned privilege. So acknowledge the earned privilege yes. and then maybe point out some of the parts of their story that they may have shared that were the unearned privilege and ask them if they recognize that some of those were there in addition to the earned privilege that they worked so hard to achieve. Yeah. And I think it's almost like using the sandwich analogy to have these kinds of conversations where it's 
you know, yeah. the buns are like the good stuff, the positive stuff. And in the middle is all the meat of it, the points that you're trying to make. So I think in going about that conversation, not only acknowledging their pain and acknowledging their earned privilege, but also being empathetic. And that's so hard. It's not not practicing sympathy, but practicing empathy, which means literally relating to a feeling within yourself. You don't have to be a young black male to experience a young black male's pain. Like you can relate to pain as you know pain. And so to hear a young black man's story and to connect to that, you think about how you have felt pain and talk to that. You know, that's where you start the conversation and same vice versa. I mean, as a talking to someone of a white male, um, who does have this unearned privilege, you know, if he's talking about how hard he's worked and you're a black woman and you kind of immediately are like, Oh my God, I want to roll my eyes. I can't believe this white male is talking about how hard he's had to work, but to say, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. That does suck when you have to work really hard for something. Like, I, I feel you on that. And then to, once that's acknowledged and once that's, once that's heard, you're able to move to this other point where then they can hear you. And it, it, takes, a, it takes a lot to swallow mm-hmm. that. Like, I mean, in that sort of a situation, I would say that the black woman is the one having to swallow a lot Absolutely. more to, to kind of have it pushed back at him like that than the, than the white man is. Yeah. So, but, but at the end of the day, that's where we run up with this, like what we're talking about, that the white man can be complacent and mm-hmm. not acknowledge the privilege that yeah. he has because he has but the, the black woman doesn't have that option she can't just say oh i don't yeah. want to talk about that yeah. because she's the one that's having her you know young son come home and ask about boys that look like him in the media getting killed by police like she doesn't get to just say Absolutely. oh that's uncomfortable i don't want to talk about that and then she has to be the one to not get triggered mm-hmm. by by that and take kind of a backseat, swallow it and then make her point yeah to try to, to try to get some some empathy from Mm -hmm. from the person that they're talking to. And I think it, I I can see where it might sound ridiculous that I'm saying that we need to practice empathy here because it's such, it, it elicits such strong, such strong emotions. But I think understanding that empathy is a shame fighter. And when we have this conversation with someone of privilege, if we don't acknowledge that and we just minimize it and invalidate it and say, well, you don't know real pain, you don't know working actually hard, that that's just continuing to like fuel this sense of shame for being white. And he doesn't have any control over that. You know, he was simply born a white male and you were simply born a person of color. And I think once we can actually move to put on those color brave pants (laughs) that we can practice that empathy back and forth. And that's really how we actually start having these powerful, productive conversations around race because we're, we're just, it's a lot of fear and it's a lot of disconnect. And I think it's really important here as we move forward in our society that acknowledging the privilege is step one and we have to learn to have those conversations and part of the learning of it is just simply getting enough courage to be vulnerable and talk about it absolutely and then after we can get some acknowledgement going then we can start going into the 
programs and systems that need to be changed and the specifics involved and 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 you know creating legislation and changes in organizations to try to reverse some mm-hmm. of it so something that I want us to take away and move forward with from this conversation is to take the first step in just observing our environment and seeing who is in our circle. You know, does everyone in our circle look exactly like us? If so, then take a step to start reflecting on your biases and asking yourself, you know, what am I thinking of this person before I'm actually getting a chance to get to know them? And to start inviting people into your life that are from different backgrounds than yourself. If you are a white woman, don't be afraid to approach that black male that is walking down the street from you with a smile or with a hello. Or if he looks like he's confused and doesn't know where he is, offer him directions. (laughs) Whatever it is, having a kind encounter with someone that is black or someone that is a different color than you. I think that's really important to just start these conversations and understand that we're going to have limitations, we're going to disagree with each other, and that that's okay, but that we need to work towards hearing each other, that we're asking more questions than we are talking about ourselves. And even even to your point too, just having having lunch with, with a friend of ours and asking them what they think about the current Black Lives Matters movement or what do they, what do they think, what's their personal experience having to do with it and their thoughts. And then just be quiet. Don't say your opinion. Just listen the entire time. I think that's mm-hmm. super informative to do because when you react and say your opinion in response to their opinion, it, it changes their ability to share their full perspective. Yeah, and when you ask questions, ask questions to better hear their story and to better take in their experience and really challenge yourself to actually just accept their story and their worldview and their life experiences as true and to not try to like shove them into this viewpoint that is yours and that feels more relatable. Try to just really actually accept that that's their experience because as we take that in and as we empathize with that, we're able to move closer to people and it's a whole lot more difficult to dislike people when we really get up close because we're reminded that we are all human and that we are all in this together to be kind of cheesy. But another point too that I want us to take away is that this isn't for one race or for the other race, like that you're doing it for our society as a whole, that this will actually benefit all of us as a whole, you know, helping create more equality for people of color is not just for the people of color, but that it's for all of us. So that is my little takeaway. And hopefully we can work on these things throughout the week and throughout the month and throughout the rest of our freaking lives so that we can get moving here in some <laughs> civil rights <laughs> improvements. Absolutely. Look at humanity as a whole mm-hmm. and and get ourselves some diversity so that we can continue to thrive and survive. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Colin, for tuning in with me this episode and chatting about privilege. It was wonderful to have you. Yeah, I love the conversation. Thank you so much for having me on. I love love talking about this stuff, even if it's a little hairy. And and it's just exciting to see things moving forward and to try to try to play a role to be a part of it. Yeah, so you guys can find Colin on Instagram at ColinAC. He takes amazing photos and is definitely someone you're going to want to keep up with. Uh, You can also find his business at TenaciousVentures.com. So thank you so much again, and hopefully I'll see you soon in Seattle. Great. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Taylor. It's been great. You're welcome. 
If you have any questions or want a certain topic to be talked about, feel free to send me an email at ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. You can also find the podcast on Instagram at letstalkaboutit underscore podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in again to another episode of Let's Talk About It. I'll see you next time. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.